Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, G, U corner, half back, flat, on two. Ready, right. Now here's your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42. Blue 42. Good morning, Brock. How are you now? Good morning, Paula. Yeah, it is Clay Bennett. It is the Mayor Nichols. It's that whole debacle. That's number one. I don't think there's competition. A-Rod saying it won't be about the money. It's probably way up there as well. Uh, didn't Slick Rick say he wasn't? He didn't ever do a tournament <laughs> bracket or he no. never in, and never Rick's, interviewed for the 49er Jeff That's Robert. what it was. That's <laughs> it. And it's on the list. Rick yes. Neuheisel's lie about that and being yeah. overheard by a newspaper columnist. <laughs> Like, that whole saga of Rick Neuheisel, the end of the Neuheisel tenure, was hilarious. Yeah, that's a I good mean, little you, segment. I like that little segment. <laughs> it includes Jim Moore just being, like, a pig in filth down there at that trial. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, How's your tummy doing after a week of pimento cheese at the Masters? Ooh, yeah, it was just Sunday. I was just there Sunday. I had to fly home. I apologize. A little flight challenges yesterday. Um, the pimento cheese. The private awful. plane took off at a different time the than you pimento, expected it to. I was not on a private. Some that Are I was you with sure? We're on private. Yeah. I'm, oh. pretty, I'm pretty sure. You didn't, post any, you, didn't, you didn't post any pictures from the master, so nope. I'm pretty sure that Brock was sworn to secrecy. Mm. Do you know Danny O'Neill? And we'll talk a lot about this tomorrow. I'll give you a full, full broad scope as you and I are together for three hours tomorrow as I'm filling in for Polly uh, tomorrow. Do you know that there's no cameras allowed? And one of the great scenes oh, really? that will be embedded in my mind forever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's made very clear to you that you don't even try to bring your phone. Like, don't – any electronics, any of that stuff. Even Apple phones, you, like, have to turn off uh, or deactivate or something. But, um, yeah, one of the great scenes is I was walking in, and it's like Disneyland in the woods. I mean, it is unbelievable. But you walk up, and there's a whole security, and there's an old woman that was sitting out there and said, Don't even try it, boys. Don't even try or you'll do the walk of shame and I'll laugh at you. I'll be laughing at you. And uh, <laughs> it's the people that try somehow to sneak it, get caught, and they get booted out. And there's a walk of shame right back to the parking lot and to your car. So you never see any pictures, any pictures. Uh, but I'll give you one quick, one little quick story. I did see Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, the, the now Washington football team QB. Fitzmagic. Fitzmagic was there with his dad. And I think I was eating my pimento sandwich when he kind of came over and, and we were chatting a little bit. Super nice guy. And then this like punk, I don't know, maybe punk 18-year-old kid comes over. Man, big Bills mafia fan. You know, love watching you play. Fist pound. He's like, can I get a picture? And Fitzpatrick's like, uh, what? Uh, no. Picture? What are, you, what are you talking about? And he had his phone in his pocket. And he's like, uh, dude, don't even pull that out. Like, you're, you're out of here. And uh, so the kid left, and he goes, that happened like three years ago. I guess he goes every year, fits magic with his dad and brothers and just have a great time. And he said, that happened like three years ago, and it was one of the members' kids because the members have a different oh. entrance in the public. But if, if he were to pull that out, security is just going to just yank him, and, and dad's going to get or mom's going to get in big, big trouble, and one idiot. So he was like, uh, no, and I would suggest you not even <laughs> – you know, like, go go put that thing away. You're just wow. ridiculous. So, there you go. All right, good to know that, Brock, yeah. if I ever do end up going. Question one for you. Going into the draft, 
How could the Seahawks best balance short-term needs with long-term needs, given that they don't have a first, they don't have a third-round pick, and their first pick is at the back of the second round? I think, Paul, this is your best player available that sits on that board. I don't think they're going to trade up into the first round. I think there's a .00001 chance of that. Uh, to, to what you said. They don't necessarily have the arsenal and their own personnel, and they certainly don't have draft capital. And I don't think after giving up next year's first for Jamal either that you're going to get into the business of giving up first in 23, 24, anything of the, that nature. So they're not coming up. The question then is, and I think to your point of, of short-term, long-term, is in your second-round pick, are you going to try to then trade down and trade down into another third and maybe a fifth? And when you get to the third, you try to trade one of those thirds for additional fourth or fifth or sixth and just try to at least come out of this thing with five or six draft picks and say to yourself, golly, in an unprecedented year of no combine, less access, there may be more opportunity at the back end of this draft of, of players that we truly, not even we don't even have to talk ourselves into liking them, that we truly really like how this thing is laying out and how it's falling in the first two or three rounds and we're going to load up in the fifth and sixth and to your point play a little bit of a longer game right then then at that juncture yet at the same time there's this other little voice on my shoulder paul as i'm saying that says yeah but hold on a second the second leading sacker of all rookies in the nfl was taken in what round last year fifth Fifth. i mean Alton, alton came in and contributed right away as a fifth round pick so are you going to get more contribution out of a third rounder or more contribution out of a fifth rounder? What has this organization, in, you know, through the years found some success, especially early in their tenure, but even later in Alton would be case in point, is maybe there's an opportunity. I, if, if I had to answer that question, you know, point blank, Paul, I think they try to trade down and play a little more of the volume and long game because that is the DNA of this organization. Mm. Brock, should they draft a quarterback? Ooh, not in, the, <laughs> not, not in the second. Did I see? Did I see some about Kali? Where did I? Yeah, Condota wrote about it. Like, should the Seahawks, if there's a quarterback, and somebody's been talking about whatever the the kid from Florida, the kid, the kid from Kyle Florida's, Trask, Davis cannot, Mills are supposedly in that cannot, kind of range. I like Davis Mills a lot more, but I know I I don't think you're. I don't think you're no. the quarterback. I think there's still a bunch of veteran guys that have played a little bit in this league that are going to be a better option than than Geno Smith. So, uh, no, no. And, heck, even Alex Smith is available and still available. And I know he has you know a challenge moving the way that he used to move. So maybe some of the, the boots and the nakeds and all the play action, everything that you're going to love to do in this system is going to be a little bit more challenged. But, no, I, I, don't, think, I don't think you're spending a second or a third on, on a quarterback in this draft. All right, question number two. Brock, Brock you're going to have to be careful, otherwise Paul and I are going to start yelling at each other again. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Got a little heated at 7.30 this morning. 7.30? Okay. Embrace yes. debate. <laughs> we were speak for your pizza. <laughs> Properly evaluate Julian Edelman's career. Is that is that neutral enough? Oh, boy. Is that oh a boy. neutral enough phrasing, That's very Paul? neutral, yes. <laughs> You you, you were fighting about Julian Edelman? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's cute. That is fun. Good. I I will say this. I can acknowledge the best line Paul had because he said, hey, they win the Super Bowl because of Julian Edelman. I'm like, well, they don't win the Super Bowl if Jeremy Lane doesn't get hurt. He goes, well, who hurt Jeremy Lane? And I was like, oh, I'm oh. a <laughs> football <laughs> got player. Got me there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's 
That's funny. Uh, Julian Edelman is a he's one you point to and say got absolutely everything out of every fiber and an ounce and cell of his body. Uh, I, I thought maybe you guys were debating Wes Welker or Julian Edelman better. Better slot receiver because I saw oh. that was a hot debate yesterday amongst people and and Paul I don't know where you land on that but Julian Edelman was was phenomenal and credit to New England man because they photocopied that slot position and went through a bunch of different guys over over the ten year fifteen years and got immense production out of all of them and I would say out of that crew the better question would be to Tom Brady if you were to have a, a beer with Tom Brady at the Masters on Amen Corner and say hey man. Of all your slot guys, Amendola, Wes Welker, you know Edelman, you know which one? If you could only pick one on your on your offense of New England all time, golly, I'd happen to think that he would pick Edelman. Edelman, I, what Brock said about him getting absolutely everything out of it, maybe that gets to the point you have, Paul, is that there is he's not just a slot receiver. Like the dude played a variety of positions. He was a returner, he, ringing everything about out of his ability. Can I, can I share? I just saw this tweet. It's from Bill Wolf. Shoot it. Julian Edelman never even had a season in which he led white guys in receiving yards. <laughs> wow. Uh, compelling counterargument. No. I think he was their Doug Baldwin. He was edgy. Uh, to your point, he would you know f- fire back both in the media. I bet he was the one that challenged in that locker room, challenged a little Joshy boy and others, right? Held them accountable. We've certainly seen his his voice grow in, in some of the uh, is, you know issues that he feels are important on and off the football field. To me, he feels of any of those guys and in the slot. And Wes was awesome, and he was uber quick and, and everything else and very productive. And I think statistically speaking, more productive than Edelman. But Edelman, Edelman was their Doug Baldwin. I think he was he was some of the edge, and that's why – you know, a fan of that organization, like Mr. Gallant, is probably going to defend him tooth and nail and fight and scratch, claw and yell. You said the exact perfect word. It's the edge. I have seen very few wide receivers run as tough as Edelman after the catch despite the size. That is a person who wanted contact. And while there, you know, you compare he and Edelman, uh, Edelman and Welker, like lots of drops by Welker in a big spot, Super Bowl 46. Edelman had a lot of drops over the course of of his mm-hmm. career as well. But the edge is the thing that I think Edelman had over Wes Welker. And we saw Edelman last year on one knee still be pretty good against Jamal, I think. I think also <laughs> also an argument Paul Gallant brought up. Oh, did he Quite there? effectively, yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, was... we got after it, Brock. We got after it. <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm gonna have to go podcast that one. I'm bringing Titus to school. So I'm going to go check that one out. Question number three, Brock. <laughs> Speak for your pizza every morning at 7.30. Maybe that's what we'll do at 7.30. See if that'll drive them in. Dan- Danny and Paul scream at each other for 10 minutes. <laughs> Let's impersonate Northeastern Sports Radio. We can add accents to the mix as well. Uh, question three for you, Brock. This has to do with, I thought, a fantastic bit of reporting by Shilkapedia in The Athletic about the Philadelphia Eagles' power structure. Mm. Oh, boy. How often do players think about their bosses and maybe how they compare to other ownerships across the NFL. Because today, if I'm Russ and I read that piece in The Athletic, I'm feeling really thankful that even if maybe Pete Carroll, John Schneider have more control than most coaches, exec, uh, general managers in other organizations, 
I'd feel really good that I don't have an owner who thinks he really knows football the way that Jeffrey Lurie does meddling yeah. the way that he seems yeah. to me. Yeah, how many times do players talk about that? Not very often, Paul. They talk about their money, right, and, and their business and wanting to get theirs. Very, very rarely. I was, I was actually chatting with one of my old teammates here recently, and he was so bothered by some of these new guys in media that talk about players' money. You know, he was just like, you just don't do that. I just, and it was, it was in Dak Prescott. I think it was Dan Orlovsky when he was just going on and on about Dak and his money and what he should do. And it's like, man, criticize his play, praise his play, talk about his execution, what he's not doing. But man, once you start digging into the money, it just, it makes, you know, players, former players, even a little bit uncomfortable. So I, I think players spend more time on that, Paul. Uh, individually, right, and, and 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 then they do like, oh, hey, look at that organization. Now, I, I would say it's the really cheap ones that then probably create the more noise, much more so than power struggles or how it's set up or the infighting. It is, man, the Bengals are cheap. Oh my gosh, are they cheap? Or at one point, the Arizona Cardinals, man, they are mm-hmm. they are just cheap. So I think it's it's much more that as it as it is kind of a normal life with employees, right? And your friends that work at different businesses, it's not. Oh gosh, can you believe the power structure at Amazon? Oh man, I can't believe the superintendent. No, it's like usually, gosh, they treat us terrible, or they treat us amazing, and they take great care of us. And this is an amazing organization. And I've said this about the Seahawks a ton, right? We can nitpick all sorts of things and power and. And who has final say in all of that? What you can't nitpick is how they take care of their players in incredible ways and why guys want to come here, why they come back to play here. See also Bruce Irvin. See also Carlos Dunlap. See also Marshawn Lynch. We go on and on and on. Maybe Richard Sherman if his number gets low enough. But, you know, it's, it's much more of that, I think, Paul, than it is, golly, can you believe how, how much the, the owner medals or – or how much the GM has to say, or how much loud the voices of the coaches. How do they take care of me? How do they treat me? That, that's much more of the dominant conversation. And one thing that will happen, though, is if you've got an owner that plays favorites in terms of players, that was one of the things that undid Mike Shanahan's run in, in Washington, was people believing that Daniel Snyder had a preferred relationship with yep. RG3, which yep. was definitely the case to the point where I, I, I blamed Shanahan for Robert Griffin III staying in that playoff game and getting hurt, and I think mm. that's wrong because mm. I, I I think it was Snyder that enabled that Probably. and enabled him to stay in there when it was clear that he was compromised and ended up suffering a much worse injury because of that. And certainly, yeah, certainly players will talk about Jerry Jones would be the other one yep. right in Dallas that, that just meddles and gets too involved and what is he doing? But then again, talk to Cowboys players that have played there, and they're like, he takes care of us, man. We, yeah. we stay in the nicest places. We got the nicest facilities. Like, he pumps so much money into this place. It's it's pretty incredible how he takes care of us. So even his meddling is softened. Is Again, most employees want to be treated well. And when they are, it sure makes up for and compensates for a lot of other madness. All right, Brock. You are going to be back tomorrow. You've teased this. Paul is going on a much deserved and earned vacation are you uh, leaving after are you leaving after the show today red Paul? eye tonight uh to boston connecting to puerto rico where my best friend from high school is getting married nice it's gonna be awesome i'm very excited i've never good been. for you it's gonna be very, a blast for you very fun and danny i will we'll have to talk tonight about this pizza thing at 7 30 i don't know if i can do that <laughs> yeah we might be able to do it also and i'll just leave you with this uh russell has posted a new hype video oh boy on his twitter account this morning It says, it takes a wolf to catch a wolf, and he he capitalized the W in wolf each time. So maybe there's, he's wearing a Seahawks helmet, guys. 
Okay. He's got a Seahawks helmet on for his workout in his backyard with the full regulation football field back there. All the conversation is over. He's with Seattle for the foreseeable future. Are the Seahawks about to go to Wolf Gray uniforms as their primary <laughs> unis? Talk to you tomorrow, that. Danny. Love you, boys. <laughs> All right. That is Brock Heward. You can also hear him on the Brock and Salk podcast, and he will be with us tomorrow filling in for, for Paul Gallant on Danny and Gallant.